0: Welcome to TechNado with Don Pezet, featuring sysadmin expert Don Pezet, security specialist Daniel Lowry, and Peter.
1: Hello and welcome to TechNado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host Peter Van Rysdam, joined as always by Don Pizzette,
2: who is up in my... Right there. How you doing, Don? I am doing great. You know, starting to wind down Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So I'm, I'm looking forward to November when we no longer have to be aware of cybersecurity. That's
1: yeah, we got 11 months <laughs> off and then we get to focus on it again. Yep. And uh, Daniel, the same for you, I assume?
0: Yeah, I'm actually doing my best to bring awareness to cybersecurity a month. I'm wearing this shirt all month, every day. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't washed it. It's my Red Seed shirt. I get so many people that always ask me, What does that mean? And I'm like, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. You're the people I get to have. <laughs> yes. Well, then that, uh, I'll November, send it that... to you in an email. Click the link. It'll take you to a page and <laughs> <Exactly>. what happens. <laughs> that shirt can just stand up at the end of yeah, the month. Yeah, I yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, we are joined in the last box there by Roy Eliyahu, who is the CEO and co-founder at Salt Security. How are you doing today?
3: Doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to, to doing this uh, podcast with you.
1: Yeah, not as excited as we are um, to have you here and to get to know you. And Daniel's already been, before we, we started the podcast, You know, peppering you with all these questions about top secret things. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's go ahead and find out the things you can actually tell us about about your history in our first segment,
2: Rapid Fire Questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are
1: you? What's
3: happening? What's wrong with you?
2: All right, in this segment, what we have are five rapid-fire questions. You'll be given one minute to answer each one. If you run too long, Peter will buzz you with his buzzomatic buzzer, and uh, then we'll move on to the next one. So it'll be a great chance to learn a little bit about you and what you do. So let's uh, kick it off with the first question. Yeah, so
1: I, uh, I mentioned you're, you're with Salt Security, but I want to kind of go a little bit before that. Uh, you, were, you were part of the IDF and the cybersecurity unit there, and I'm just curious how, uh, how that prepared you for your, your life after the military here.
3: Yes, I think the military background was uh, definitely kind of the core in my background. So I started programming when I was probably nine, started working as a freelancer when I was 11. But in the military, it was actually the first kind of military-grade cybersecurity experience, right? Up until that point, for me, looking backwards was only, you know, uh, kind of junior stuff. When you get to the military, you're experiencing what is cybersecurity the military in a national kind of level, so from all defensive perspective, all different type of cybersecurity attack vectors, uh, you know, from a defensive perspective, from an offensive perspective, the best uh, of breed type of defensive mechanisms. Um, So it's really helped me to get my expertise in cybersecurity all around, and also seeing how APIs emerged to be one of the most critical attack vectors.
2: Now, after your military service, you went on to co-found Salt Security. And usually, when people create a company, it's because they're trying to solve some need, a gap in the market. You just mentioned APIs. Is, is that is that what Salt Security does? Uh,
3: yes. So Salt uh, is all about to make it safe for companies to innovate by protecting their APIs. So we protect any type of web application, mobile application, microservices, IoT, anything that leverages an API will help companies. To discover their APIs and uncover shadow APIs will help them to prevent attacks in real time. And finally, to remediate vulnerabilities and improve their API security posture. Um, So that's what SALT security does in five seconds.
0: Well, that's pretty cool stuff because obviously there can be a lot of interesting things lurking around inside of an API, but it uh, strikes me is that you have this military background, then you kind of apparently moved into doing some military cybersecurity uh, training, and now you're into securing up APIs. How do you make that jump? What drew you into that type of security?
3: Yes, that's an excellent question because you know from very young age, I'm an entrepreneur by heart, so... For me, in terms of the training that we did, we founded like a, a training courses for cybersecurity to help people get prepared to the IDF cybersecurity units. And we just saw a gap in the market. But for me, it was never my passion to do any kind of training. It was more to solve a problem in a, in a kind of in a worldwide scale and drive a huge impact to the, to, the, to the world. So for me, the impact of the training was only limited to Israel versus, you know, solving the API security issue or problem is, is definitely something that will drive huge impact to the world. So that's why it was when we thought about salt, we immediately shifted all of our focus to, to salt uh, and nothing else.
1: Now, I, I went back and saw a blog post that you wrote earlier in the year talking about how, how much more reliant people are on technology now with, with COVID and working from home and that type of thing. Uh, I've asked a lot of people that we've had on here, cybersecurity people, about how they've seen um, cybersecurity change with COVID. But specific to APIs, have you seen uh, any big changes in terms of uh, how those are affected during, during this crisis?
3: Yes, absolutely. I think API uh, security gets a lot of attention during COVID specifically. Because if you think about it, APIs are the, the driver for any digital systems, right? So when we're doing this uh, podcast uh, using Zoom, it's all based APIs. We pay um, you know, through our mobile banking app, it's an API. We shop online because we cannot go physically. So everything shifting online all translate to more usage of more APIs, more sensitive data in those APIs because we sign up to more online services, Companies are shifting uh, to digital uh, platforms because they cannot have business physically. So all of that increases the sensitivity of APIs and the need for protecting those APIs.
0: All right, really, just because I, I gotta know, you're in that space. Out of the OWASP uh, API top 10 security issues, which one worries you the most?
3: By far, number one on the list. <laughs> there is a reason why it's number one, the bulk and object level authorization. I think it's one of the most critical gaps, all top ten, but by far, I think we are seeing. you know, if you look at a pie chart of the breaches and vulnerabilities, we think that, you know, big percentage of it, it's definitely the number one. uh, Because it's very common and also the hardest to solve um, uh, from a security perspective, um, because tools today cannot protect against this specific one um, uh, specifically, in addition to the rest of the top ten.
1: That keeps me up at night, too, just trying to figure out what it is. Peter's just
3: losing sleep every day. Yeah. No, I'm glad
1: we, we, we had a couple seconds left, and I just can't gloss over the fact that you said you were freelance programming at 11. What, what were you doing, and who hired you?
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, basically, I started programming when I was nine. I was went to classes, um, got super curious about programming, and started to build some stuff. And through online forums, to be honest, I started to find some you know small jobs about Doing things on websites, you know, some some PHP, some action scripts, some all very old stuff, and I was just paid by cash. I had no idea of the concept of IRS, <laughs> <laughs> I any uh, uh, and I just got cash by envelopes and my mom just asked me who's sending you money and why uh, <laughs> it's
0: uh, that man in the van uh, mom <laughs> that sounds like the mob yeah. cash yeah. and uh, envelopes <laughs> listen we off. need you to make this application for <laughs> us
3: if you would it'd be, it'd be a shame if someone were to
0: uh infiltrate your systems here yeah
3: yeah by the way looking backwards i see how i was i was uh like charging almost nothing compared to yeah. what should have been charged like But anyway, but it was an amazing experience and making even not a lot of money as a, as a, as as this, you know, as being in elementary school. I could have done that at 11,
0: but I was too busy eating dirt. (laughs) (laughs) You got dirt? (laughs) That's great.
1: Well, uh, I I wanted to, you know, while we have you here, get uh, get your take on uh, an article we actually covered a little bit last year uh, in our new segment, Deja News. Deja News. They go for a <laughs> All right, so uh, we're looking back at an article from appsecure.security. Um, this is a blog post called How I Could Have Hacked Your Uber Account. And before before we get your take, Rory, I want to um, ask Don. So sure. uh, can you kind of give us a recap of, of what this was? I know we did talk about this last
2: year. Yeah, so basically what happened is Uber had two different APIs that were public, publicly exposed that would leak the UUID or the unique identifier for Uber customers. And it would be attached to not just their UUID, but their phone number. So it gave you enough information to be active on. Uh, then you were able to take that information information and pivot and apply that against the API to get pretty much all the information about those user accounts. And so it was all really built around an API that just wasn't properly secured. A researcher discovered it, reported it, it was triaged and corrected, and then uh, responsibly disclosed months later. So this wasn't a massive breach where all the customer data got out, but potentially it could have, right? So anytime you have an open, I, I shouldn't say an open API because this was unintentionally open, but when you have a non-secured API, you potentially could be handing out your entire database to people and not even know what's happening. And is this something you come across a lot, Roy, this kind of um, same problem
1: at other companies?
3: yes it's extremely extremely um we see it in almost every company so probably nine out of ten companies that we are interacting with or working with in any phase if we do any type of vulnerability research nine out of, out of ten we find critical vulnerabilities in a matter of days um, of two days even like like uber one um i think that's uh, going back to your previous question what wars need the most of the top ten You can clearly see in the Uber case, there was two of the top 10 there. So number three, excessive data exposure. Essentially, they exposed the UID of the drivers um, by simply you submit a phone number as mentioned, and you can get the UID. By itself, it's not very useful, but they also had the A1, the BOLA vulnerability. You can use the UID to get a token. So essentially, it's like to get a password. For any, for any driver, right? So I can simply go and do whatever I want. So it's even goes beyond exfiltrating the database because you can do everything. You can disable, for example, an account to their entire fleet, or you can um, uh, do cancellation of things or you can, you can modify a lot of things, essentially everything you can do as a Uber user. Uh, so that can create a huge revenue impact for Uber uh, in addition to the data loss that will result in a, in a big fine.
0: What what would you say it is that um, that makes this a prevalent problem that, that people are putting all this information in APIs and tokens that are accessible by the end user? Is it because they just think that well, no one's going to look at this, right? Here it is, it's all wrapped up in a in a jot, and you know I'm good to go, right? Is uh, why is this happening so often?
3: Yeah, so I think like if you look at the excessive data exposure aspect, why even the UAD was exposed. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, many companies develop an API and they are the consumer of that API, right? They develop their mobile app, you install, and the mobile app interacts with their APIs. And sometimes developer had the notion that if it's not exposed in the interface, you know, no one can access it, which is obviously not true because you only need to sniff the information and you can see everything. Um, and the reason why it happens on the back end, because typically you have an object that contains all of these data and they simply pull the entire object as is. That's the easiest way and just send everything. And then the front end developer, right? In the most practical level, practical level, you have a front end developer that requires certain parameters. So they basically sends everything and said, you know, choose whatever you need. So you don't need to call me again to add more parameters. So essentially they're exposing more than what they need. Um, and obviously it's creating a security issue. I think that's for number kind of number three. The reason why the UID could have been used to get tokens, that's a very common issue because you have potentially an API, a normal API. Uh, you have probably you know thousands or tens of thousands of potential cases when you need to validate each one. So it's enough that one is being missed for a proper authorization check, and and that's it. And and Uber, by the way, it wasn't the first one, not even the fifth one, has in um, this type of vulnerability. They have a lot of other vulnerabilities were where disclosed from different kinds.
2: You know, one thing I've wondered about uh, in, in the olden days, if you developed an API, you just made it internally available and that was it. It wasn't available to the outside world and that provided a lot of protection, but mobile apps kind of destroyed that, right? So if people are on cellular phones, they, they could be in any country with any IP. We can't kind of protect the API that way. So one challenge we have is that if we have to expose our API to the internet, in theory anybody could find it and once they find it anybody could you know just keep working at it until they figure out information is there any way that people are able to securely connect uh, like a, you know an authenticated mechanism or something like that so that only the authorized applications are able to connect to the API or is that just not something that's realistic so first
3: of all i'll extend that as you said that it's not you know, only mobile apps can be single page applications, services, any type of device, IOT that by definition needs to be exposed for you to use. But it's not realistic because essentially you are the consumer, right? If you're the consumer of an e-commerce website or a financial, like I'm logging into my bank account, there is nothing that make me different than an attacker, right? Except my intent. Um, So I can access, I can modify and I can send whatever I want. I can modify the API call, however I want as an attacker. To the servers and because i'm a legitimate user i can simply sign up get an account or install one account and use that to uh find vulnerability in the api so unfortunately uh you know you you have to be able to monitor your apis for a malicious behavior or abnormal behavior that try to manipulate the api try to exploit vulnerabilities uh in the api
2: so, let's pretend for a moment that you were the one who detected this uh, you know this uber vulnerability and you, know, you found where that information was being leaked what what is the advice you give to them to correct that
3: yes uh, it's an excellent question right uh, that's uh, essentially you know I'll put salt aside because we help we, co- we created salt to help to mitigate all of those issues but put that aside. First of all, you have to map all the data that you expose. So you have to create an API inventory of, that includes all the requests, all parameters, all the response and all parameters. You need to classify all these parameters and to know exactly where do you expose what. So if they had that in place, they would know they expose there a UUID of drivers that should not be exposed. There is, you know, the user do not need this UUID. So obviously you don't need to expose it. So eliminate any unnecessary exposure. That's number one. Secondarily, you have to map out, understand all the business logic flows in the API and to ensure you have proper um, uh, uh, authorization check. So when you have a submit of a phone number, for example, it can be any type of ID, you need to make sure that you have the authorization check to get the data on the output. Uh, Only it belongs to the specific phone number, as an example, or the specific driver UID. So every time you see sensitive data on the way out, you need to ask yourself, do, did we do all the authorization checks needed on the request to ensure this data can only be sent if it was properly authenticated, properly have authorization, the right authorization in place? Um, How you get this inventory, that's the hard part, obviously, but there is no easy way around it. Otherwise you will have those vulnerabilities.
0: It also seems like it would be a a massive lift to not only do that, correct? Because that seems like a lot of work. (laughs) And then if you have a large enough web application that is constantly adding in new features and other features are being maybe upgraded or updated and taken away and things are just constantly changing, how do you manage Mapping all that data and then mapping all of that out through the API with changes happening in real time. How I, I would assume that's extremely difficult.
3: Extremely difficult. I think there are three things that changed that you touch on one big of them that made APIs so vulnerable, and you see more and more breaches and incidents because people tend to think, wow, we had APIs for 20 years. Let's change, right? And there are three key changes. One, is that we move from, you know, APIs that expose very limited data to very sensitive data. Everything is available online for us. So obviously APIs expose very sensitive data and all the time, you know, every time you have high price for an attacker, you you know, you have more incidents. That's number one. Number two, the attack surface definitely increased exponentially because we have more functionality, right? We can do much more now in our for example banking app than what we could five or seven years ago and all of this new functionality resulted in invoking thousands of different api calls with hundreds of thousands of parameters on the back end when every one of them can be a vulnerability and the last one that you actually mentioned is the frequent changes changes right so we moved to an agile development cicd when anyone can add new functionality Uh, In opposed to the old days, we had release every six or 12 months. So any type of manual approach will simply will break, right? Because you cannot keep up with the frequent, uh, you know, the the changes uh, frequency. So the reality, you need to have an automated mechanism to understand what change happened. um, What if they added new sensitive data, new API endpoints, new parameters, how it's if there's a new API meeting my security requirements and went through all the security checks. And then lastly, in production, you have to keep monitoring for all these, um, you know, top 10 and more threats to ensure that those APIs are not being exploited. Um, And I'm sorry, my answer is not like... You know, no, that was good. Think, oh, it was a good bad. answer. Or, um, yeah but uh... it was the truth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well,
1: unfortunately for us, uh, Uber has patched this, so no more free rides. Uh, they did uh, pay out sixty five hundred dollars last year uh, as a bounty for it. so uh, that was nice to see as well for the person who did the right thing and reported it um, the yeah. right way. So um, getting back to Salt real quick. So if uh, I know there's a lot of people probably sitting at home right now who are going, well, my company has an API. Do, am I doing this stuff? Uh, am I doing this right? So <laughs> how, how would people reach out to you if they wanted to find out yeah. more about Salt Security?
3: Sure, so can reach, first of all, can reach out to me directly. Uh, it's my name, L-O-E-Y at salt.security, not .com, just .security. That's one. You can go to the website, do request a demo, Uh, and you'll be answered immediately, so that's another option, Um, so feel free to use one of the two, Uh, and I would love, again, um, to share more information, more insights, more best practices, uh, because we are seeing these attacks and problems on a daily basis.
1: Fantastic, and I know you guys, uh, you, you won some awards recently as well, if I'm not mistaken, one from Gartner, and what was the other one? You just won one a couple weeks ago, right?
3: The, yes. So we have won the sign 16 innovation award. Uh, and we won the Gartner cool vendor in the API, uh, in the API space. Uh, and before that, we also won the OWASP innovation fair. So it's like the innovation contents of OWASP, but actually the audience choose the winner. So, uh, we won this as well. And the audience voted salt is the most innovative company, which is, um, always uh, very, uh, um exciting to to hear that they have this type of validation from our audience
1: yeah it's nice to hear when it comes from the audience because I, I feel like the other ones are always you know who, who's paying the most money yeah, it's a fashion you know. show yeah <laughs> uh, but the no. people's choice awards those are the those are the ones you like those are
0: the yeah. good ones
1: <laughs> well uh thank you so yeah. much uh for for taking the time with us today and oh, before i let you go is there anything else coming up uh you guys got going on any events or or things like that we should mention
3: yeah so we continuously uh you know, doing more uh, webinars, roundtables, discussing the API security, bringing more, uh, uh, you know, forward-thinking uh, type of security individuals to share their insights. So definitely you can get updated. You can go to our website. Uh, you can contact us, and we'd be happy to add anyone that wants to the list so we can get access to very private events with very cool and useful information to how to better protect their APIs. Perfect.
1: I've just added Daniel to your mailing list. So <laughs> you're welcome, <laughs> Daniel. But uh, but thanks for taking the time with us today and I appreciate you coming on the show.
3: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: Yeah, and stay tuned everybody. We've got a little bit more TechNado with Don coming up
2: right after this quick break. The IT Pro TV app is available for iOS and TVOS. The modern user interface makes navigation easy. Recently watched videos can be found on the home screen, as well as our daily live streams. Choose landscape mode for larger viewing. Access the entire course library by clicking on the play icon. Navigate our content by category, certification, and job role. Learn where you want and when you want as a premium annual member by downloading episodes for offline viewing. Watch on the go and pick up later on any of your favorite devices. So head to the App Store and download the IT Pro TV app. Welcome
1: back to TechNative with Don Pizzette, and thank you to Roy for joining us. And uh, it doesn't sound like anyone's going to get killed for any of the things we talked about or asked, right? Nah, it just disappeared. It depends on <laughs> if you're hearing this podcast before or after editing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh they are hearing it before. I'm guessing. <laughs> they can do that. Uh but we have a lot of news to get to, so let's go ahead and jump in with our first article, which is at Quantum Magazine. That's one M shared in Quantum and Magazine. So Quantum Quantum Magazine. Or it's yeah. Quantum Agazine. <laughs> And the article is to boldly go. The, the planet <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> to boldly go where no internet protocol has gone before. So Vinton Cerf helped create the internet forty years ago, and he's still working to connect people around the world, and off it, and off it.
2: Yeah. Uh, Vint Surf, big name in uh, the internet's history, uh, is evaluating new problems that we've got. And, and one of those problems is internet in space. I should have said that more drama. Internet in <laughs> space. There we go. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> you get the delivery, right? So, uh, you know, one challenge that we have, and, and anybody who's used satellite internet knows this, right? On, on satellite internet, your latency is insane. It's usually about one full second. And one second doesn't sound like a lot, but when we're used to, like, 30 to 40 milliseconds for a communication, something taking a full second is a long time. And that's because you got to go from the Earth's surface all the way up to a satellite and all the way back down again. And then you likely have that same return trip on the way back. So that is a huge delay. Well, extend that out to the moon. Extend that out even further to Mars, right? How are we supposed to communicate with Mars when your latency is now minutes in some cases, right? So in those scenarios, our traditional networks don't. Function Our traditional protocols, so TCPIP specifically, just doesn't work. The delay is too great, right? So you have things like your retransmit window that would be retransmitting everything since the window is so large. So VintSurf is working on creating a new suite of protocols, which he's calling DTM, or Delay Tolerant Networking, that is networking built around the principles of TCPIP that's high speed and reliable, but can withstand huge delays in, in packet delivery. So it's neat stuff.
0: I thought DTM was down to message.
2: Down to, yeah, well, down to message? Yeah, this is N. Oh, is it N? N. N. Yeah, DTN. Gotcha. What, what is the N? <laughs> Network?
1: Yeah, what yeah. was yeah. it? Uh, delay I tolerant a... networking. Yeah. Networking. does gotcha, yeah. gotcha, so it's, I mean, it's funny.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I actually <laughs> saw Vint Cerf about 20 years ago do an interview on the thing. And he, and he said, What are you up to now, Vint? You invented the internet. I mean, how do you top that?" he's like, I'm working on an interplanetary protocol for sending messages through, yeah. through internet. I was like, Ah, that's kinda cool. And then here we are. Well he saw he saw the Martian thing. and it, <laughs> yeah. it, where it took
1: like like twelve hours for him to yeah. send text, yeah. messages, text back messages back and forth. And it's like, he said, that it's that is like that's that's bullshit. no good. That is right no good. We could have <laughs> taught this guy how to make potatoes out of
2: his poop a lot earlier so, if we had better messaging. So I mean you put a positive spin on that, but let me put a negative spin on it, which is here we are twenty years he's later, he's, he's, still he's still working on it. it. <laughs> it's true. It's, so apparently
0: it's it's not easy. Well, no, <laughs> it just means
2: that's the kind of
1: delay he's tolerant of. So I, I read the other day that they're gonna—they're talking about putting 4G on the moon. I guess oh yeah, have like yeah, I, guesses, so, oh, yeah, and I'm like, can we get it up on that four? part on 39th Avenue first, where where my calls always drop <laughs> off? Yeah, that'd here. be a great idea. So, yeah, moon.
2: you know that—that that is an argument people make about exploration and stuff. Is like you know we're trying to get to other planets, but we haven't even fully explored ours yet. Uh, you know the bottom of the ocean is still largely a mystery. And, and yeah, like, <laughs> I saw the abyss. I, I know it's down. Yeah, yeah that's where the people are. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. right.
0: <laughs> they got cool, glowy faces and luminescence all over them. Water tubes or something. It was a cool movie.
2: But it is neat. Uh, I don't expect to see this protocol used terrestrially here on Earth because DTN, as it is right now, has a huge amount of overhead. Uh, And that's because it has to be ready to retransmit practically every single packet transmitted. Uh, So it doesn't have those larger TCP retransmit windows that we're used to. It's got much, much smaller ones. Uh, But in exchange for that overhead, you get higher speed transfers and you, in theory, would have
0: reliable communications to Mars with a you know, significant delay, but you'd have the communications. Yeah, and he was saying how it's kind of like a, a store-and-forward kind of technology where, hey, just because I can't actually talk to you right now doesn't mean I should disregard these packets. I'll just kind of hold on to them until you do get into an area where I can speak with you so I can transmit yep. this on to the next place. A.K.A. Yeah. email. A.K.A. email. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I was reading where they'll be able to um, get data into deep
1: space if they put a repeater on Uranus. Oh. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that,
0: that was work. horrible. <laughs> <laughs>
1: sorry. I was working on that
0: one for a little bit. There. We have a
2: soundboard. That okay. that deserved a rim shot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. I was like, I don't have any sounds about Uranus. Or crickets. Uh, uh, one or the other.
0: <laughs> I don't have any sounds about Uranus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's close. A I've uh, got, it's just man. like uh, Taco
1: Bell, Taco Bell. <laughs> 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 no, no, right no, there, true. we just
2: got more use out of the soundboard than we have this whole <laughs> yeah, podcast. Well, the cable's working today, so it's <laughs> yeah. <you know>, <laughs> always helpful. So I'll get some.
1: I'll get some stuff right here um, for our next uh, article here, which is from Tom's Hardware. Microsoft is rolling. Hold on, I've got a Microsoft sound somewhere. Oh, there it is. Microsoft rolling out Windows 10 October 2020 update with UI changes and throttled availability. What is throttled availability? Because that sounds bad. I know it's bad (laughs) with my cell phone provider. Well,
2: so every time Microsoft rolls out a big update, we usually get just a flood of headlines like Microsoft ruins everyone's computers. People die because of the update, or you know, don't do the update because uh, Edge. It's Edge. Yeah. So they call Microsoft malware, right? (laughs) So they're doing throttled availability on this, which just means they're they're releasing to a small set of computers and then they'll expand out as time goes on to make sure everything goes smoothly. Um, two reasons for that. One is the bad PR they've been getting lately, which in my opinion is overblown. That's why we don't normally report on those articles. Uh, but the other reason is they're making a change to the start menu. And anytime you make a change to the primary interface that people have with the computer, that's a big risk. And so they're slowly kind of pushing this one out. You've probably heard mention of it over the last few months because there's there's things like the the live tiles are changing. Microsoft, uh, they they track a lot of telemetry. They know how people use their system, and they know that literally nobody uses live tiles. So they've been phasing that out. They're switching into some transparent tiles and things. Uh, The taskbar is going to get a little bit bigger, so it's a little more touch-friendly. A lot of stuff on your taskbar has small UI elements, uh, which is just not a a touch-friendly experience. Mm -hmm. So some of that stuff is coming in, uh, and that's all going to roll out. So it's a significant change to the UI and that's why I wanted to mention it here on the podcast is if you're supporting a network full of Windows machines and this kind of change rolls out, expect your end users to notice. This isn't an update that will go ignored.
0: Yeah, and it's not just the, the big change in the UI, but I, I would think that the idea that they're changing out how they're rolling this out would also be a, a pretty massive thing. that we. I mean, from what I was reading, it seemed like they were kind of like going, well, you, you hate it when we hit you with everything in the kitchen sink all at one time. How about... Let's we'll see how this works. I'll give you a couple of changes. And if it doesn't make you want to go out and, you know, commit Harry-Kerry, then I'll give you a <laughs> couple of more and we'll see how that works. I I, I kind of like that idea that it's not going to be these massive differences yeah. in, in what I'm experiencing or maybe uh, cause me issues with my operating system and then have to roll all this stuff back. And uh, I like the idea of the piecemeal.
2: Now, one, one change that I'm on the lookout for I I use Alt-Tab to switch between windows all the time. Yeah, Uh, it's great. Alt-Tab, it's easy. You switch between windows, jump around all you want. Uh, They're introducing a new feature in Microsoft Edge, which I don't use, so I guess it won't hurt me that much. But if you're in Edge, Alt-Tab will actually move between the tabs of Edge. So
1: how do you tell, though, if you want to change from alt-tab or, you know, alt-tab over to a, to a notebook <laughs> or something? Cl- you That's minimize edge, most yeah, likely.
2: It, it, so it defeats the, the shortcut being friendly if you got to system, take some right? other action. So I know you've got Windows key tab as well, which gives you the more graphical way to be able to pick a window. So I don't know if they're pushing us to that. So I, I haven't seen that yet. That that update hasn't applied to my laptop yet. So uh, But as soon as I see it, I'm curious because that could really impact the way I, like my muscle
0: memory of interacting yeah, yeah. with the yeah. system. And let me tell you for someone who, who Windows operating systems for forever, a little bit of Linux on the back end, right, but then switched to Mac six years ago. Oh, that was the hardest part. And to this day, when I right-click, I'm looking for delete. It just doesn't exist. It's moved to trash. Yes. Yeah. Six years is my primary, but I'm still looking for right-click. I'm like, son of a bitch, it's not. <laughs> it's, it is not delete. It's moved to trash, stupid. <laughs> it says it's
1: adding alt-tab in Edge and in Xbox Game Pass, so Ooh. probably the same whatever you know the functionality is there to
0: somebody in the comment section said let's be honest this is just a big promo for their game pass thing yeah did we mention
2: (laughs) game
1: pass
0: Uh, yeah
2: (laughs) you know if we were a consumer electronics show uh, we we would definitely cover the game pass because it's it it is going to change that market of how video games are sold Mm -hmm. but Anyhow, not really IT news. <laughs> <laughs> not today.
0: <laughs> not today.
1: All right, our next article is at howtogeek.com. What's new in Ubuntu 20.10 Groovy Gorilla? And I love I love Ubuntu because it's always the alliteration <laughs> and, and always the animals. So Groovy Gorilla is what's going on now. And uh, we've got some updates there as
2: well. So can I alt-tab yep. within... Uh, Country uh yeah thriller. yeah it works just fine on Ubuntu. Perfect. Uh, so so twenty point ten is the new release just came out. Uh twenty point oh four which came out back in April is their long term support release their LTS. So in in a business production environment you want to run twenty point oh four. You don't want to run twenty point ten. Twenty point ten is one of their uh, limited support releases and that means that they it will get nine months of support and that's it and that's because uh, 21.04 will come out and they expect you to upgrade to that and then 21.10 will come out and then 22.04 will be the next LTS version so you know that that's the the rotation that they're on so this is a really designed to be like a preview of what's coming in 22.04 right so in, in a year and a half or two years or however long that is so. When you take a look at something like this, it's in your lab or on your own individual machine, that's where you'd want to run 20.10 if you're dying to get some of these features. The features that are in it aren't really all that significant unless you're running like on a Raspberry Pi. So there have been some big kernel updates and things that are packaged in 20.10 that make it run better on a Raspberry Pi. Uh, They're working on getting better video driver support and so on. Uh, ZFS has been moved out of experimental and now considered production ready inside of 20.10. Although 20.10 itself isn't really considered production ready. So that means that it looks like unless something changes... Canonical is going to be ready to back ZFS in 22.04.
0: I did like some of their user-friendly updates that they were putting in there, like the fact that you don't have to go to power off to get to a restart button. There's now just a restart button. Yeah, that's always uh, been you know, counterintuitive. Some, yeah, some uh, very minor but I think useful like user experience and user kind of experience stuff, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Is this kind of like Fedora and Red Hat
2: where like one is their, their test one and,
0: and
1: yeah. then the other one?
2: Yeah, you wouldn't use Fedora in production, but you yeah. absolutely would use RHEL.
0: Yeah, real man does. He doesn't. He lives life on the edge, Don. <laughs>
2: Not somebody who's paid to support it. <laughs> well, unless yeah, you're paid by the. Support yeah, I was going to say if you're paid by the hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go ahead
1: and launch this this new one. All right, our next article comes from BBC.com. Uh, Mysterious Robin Hood hackers donating stolen money. Now, this doesn't mean people hacking from Robin Hood the app, right? We're just referring no, to people no. that are stealing from. Well.
2: Regular people. I didn't think <laughs> yeah. about that when uh, I grabbed this article. But yeah, the Robinhood. That was Hood companies my first thought. I was problems. like, oh no, Robinhood <laughs> got hit again? No, no, they did yep. not. So in this case, we've got uh, dark side hackers, as they're called in the article. But anyhow, just hackers that uh, are doing ransomware and other things to basically steal money from companies. And I guess at some point they felt bad about it. And so they decided instead of being the bad guys, they wanted to be the good guys and give back. And so they made two $10,000 Bitcoin donations to companies. Uh, Now, Bitcoin, obviously, is something that can be tracked. uh, And so they don't know who the person is, but they know where this money has uh, come from and and gone to. And so while like Children's International was one of the charities that received it, they received basically this anonymous donation. But it's easily tracked back to the wallet that originated it. So we know that it is ill-gotten gains that we. part of this ransomware uh, attack that this hacker gang has created. And so while you could say there's like a good side, at least the hackers are trying to be nice. Ultimately, the Children International Charity had to reject the donation. They can't. You can't accept stolen money even if you're a charity, Uh, and that's effectively what this is. So the hackers uh, had some kind of uh, reverse—I guess they just decided they didn't want to be the bad guys, but too late. You're already the bad guys. Yeah,
0: plus it seemed like the—and good for the charities. Both of the charities that were donated to, their response was, like, if this is— Ill-gotten gains. We want no part of it anyway. Yep. So good for them for saying, you know, I, I don't want you to go out and steal for me. I just want people to be altruistic and and give us money when we need it, and we're we're doing well. So the more the merrier. You don't have to go out and you know pilfer yeah. people's pockets. Well, and to give it to me. Hopefully,
1: it brings awareness to those charities too. Yeah, people that might not have heard of them, and and I, I bet they make out in the long run um, with with the the awareness from that. So that that maybe is a, a good side of it. I, I kind of feel like like the the hacker group anonymous kind of has this same vibe where some people like look up to them as like oh that's such a cool thing going on because of Kind of some of the things that they attack are like specific social causes they are going yeah. on at that time and so you know maybe this is just an effort by this group to say hey we want we want that kind of we want people to look at ransomware as, as a good thing now. Right. now we're hacktivists yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. one
2: thing they didn't say in there though like so these guys donated twenty thousand dollars in bitcoin right but it doesn't say how much was actually in the wallet in the first place which they can figure out right so let's say it was Two million dollars, yeah. and they just gave away twenty thousand dollars. Right? They've got expenditures.
0: Come yeah. on. He's
2: yeah. You like, you know what the insurance is on a Ferrari? <laughs>
0: yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. Tires. Well, so, so the oil. question is:
1: Are they? Uh, you know. So the, the charities have this money now. Are are they able to look back at the the blockchain records and see? You know who was defrauded, and say, okay, we're going to spread this money across. You know, no, not not really. I mean, I, I guess they
2: can. I, they can see what wallet put money into what other wallet, so they know that, but they don't necessarily know who's attached to the wallet. That's so true. It, it would come down to like if one of the hacked companies used a wallet that was published somewhere publicly. You know, like a company that maybe accepts Bitcoin payments, then maybe there they could figure it out, but usually not. All right, so so what do you do with that money? Then you just give it to the government. Uh, It says they have to give it back. Now, in this case, normally you'd say, well, how do you do that? Yeah, to the hackers, (laughs) But uh, there was a company called, what was the company called? The the, Giving Block. Because otherwise they arrest you then for donating to, uh, you know, (laughs) to hackers. So the Giving Block was like an intermediary that handles these transactions via Bitcoin and and then turns them into cash or whatever. So uh, the Giving Block is getting that money back to them, and then they've got to figure out what to do. So that company is going to have a bit of a problem.
1: Yeah. The problem of having $20,000 to figure out what to do
2: with yeah. it. Stolen. Stolen. Like, if you find a kilo well, yeah, of cocaine loaded, like, on the side of the road,
1: that's not He's selling like... that. <laughs> First of all, you'll never found out or find out that I found a kilo of cocaine. He just got so much more energy. Yeah, these days. Yeah. He is up. <laughs> Peter jogged to Vermont this morning. <laughs> he lost like 40 pounds. He did the, yeah. he did the
0: appy trail in like yeah. 12 minutes. <laughs> just
1: full-on force Gumped. All right. Our, our next article is from PCMag.com. Uh, Google says Chinese hackers are posing as McAfee antivirus to f- to fish victims. And I, I just wonder if, you know, John McAfee's actually doing this. To- <laughs> McAfee's <laughs> jokes on them. He's going to pose as Chinese hackers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's just trying to pay for his legal defense at this yeah. point, I'm thinking. So, uh, yeah, it says Google's security team has spotted the suspected Chinese hacking group uh, Apartment 31, uh, emailing links designed. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Isn't it Apartment? No, apartment yeah, okay. APT? Yeah, Dang APT. it. That was a guess, uh, <laughs> designed to ultimately download malware to spy on victims'
2: computers in the real world. APT
1: uh, stands yeah. for apartment,
0: so they're looking at their apartments. Well, that's a,
1: you know that's a cool name, like yeah. you know.
2: It's Daniel. It's, it's advanced persistent threat. right? Yes, yeah, advanced persistent. <laughs>
1: yes. You were almost there. Don, were, Don's like, yeah, I, I know you're wrong, but it's this, right? Yeah, Cause yeah. It <laughs> well, like, I don't want to be like Peter. Over <laughs> there, <right? laughs> last, last thing I want to do is look
0: like an idiot. <laughs> there we go. So, uh,
2: so you know, it's election season here in the United States. I've heard that. If you are outside of the United <laughs> States, I apologize. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but for us, it's election season. And I think right they've now, heard about it, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's happening? The, uh, the big hot topic is election fraud. And many, many of our local governments have switched to using electronic voting, which is obviously susceptible to this. Although mail-in voting is much better. So it, it's a... It's a shit show, right? So (laughs) let's just uh, cut cut to the chase on that one. But uh, So we're going to start seeing more and more outlets reporting on this. And what Google is reporting on here is that Chinese hackers are actively doing work trying to subvert some of the voting systems. And in this case, uh, they are posing as McAfee, which, in my opinion, if you're going to be successful, maybe pick a different product to uh, (laughs) impersonate. Yeah, Sophos or... But basically, yeah. they are uh, doing social engineering attacks. They're reaching out to people and saying their machines are infected, and they're offering to help. And they're offering them what is actually a legitimate demo download of McAfee antivirus, but it has malware alongside it. And they get you to install it. Your machine is not compromised. Uh, and so they're able to deploy ransomware and other things with it. So that's the plan. Um however there's a, a little problem like in this this particular article uh, what they're talking about has not really been effective so no no voting machines or uh, supervisor of election or anything like that has been compromised uh, but we have had our first article come through. We'll jump over to this other one. Uh, Peter, do you have the other article? Yeah, it's from the AP,
1: APNews.com. Uh, the report says, Ransomware Disables Georgia County Election Database. And so I think what, what's uh, so concerning about this one is we've got a different way, you know, the elections are being handled this time around with, with all the mail-in voting, as you said uh, one of the things you've got to do is you've got to confirm signatures. And so we've got these databases that have those past signatures. And if that's gone, you know, what do we do with all these ballots that we, yeah, have how do we fall? validate the yeah. signatures?
0: Right. Yeah. And Look at that,
2: Peter. If we, if we ever talk about sports or election process, like Peter's he's, our go-to guy. He's, he's, hey, he's. Kanye 2020, man,
1: I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> You're in all up on a little season. easy or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. What sure. What I, I don't, I don't uh, know if that's the same guy. I don't know.
0: Aren't those shoes? Yeah, that's it. That, they're his shoes, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Either. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, is he talking about shoes or a person? They're like like a thousand dollars know. sneakers, aren't they? <laughs> if anybody can look fix like this orthotics. country,
2: he's got as good a chance, right? I mean, <laughs> if anyone can fix this country, it is not him. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, in this scenario, an election machine actually did get affected, right? So, and, and ransomware, I think, is going to probably be the main form we see on this. The trick here is it's, it's kind of denial of service in a way, right? Takes the database down. Now we can't count those votes. That's bad. But there is a darker side to this, which is once a machine gets hit by ransomware, you don't really know what it's doing. And so, in theory, hackers could be exfiltrating the data, uh, which honestly wouldn't be that bad. But if they are able to modify the data while it's encrypted, you wouldn't know it. And then, if they paid the ransom and got it decrypted, the votes could have been changed. We wouldn't know that would be a problem, right? So, this is
0: a, a big red flag that says, you know, we just don't have the proper security in place for our election machines. So, Don, this is where I'm going to jump on your bandwagon. Oh. Uh, something as as large as the federal government, with all their <laughs> funds and resources, you think they would be able to? Not, and not only that, not only the money, but the power to say we're going to create the federal government infrastructure of internet, and that's the only people that can get on that. We're not going to use publicly used internet capabilities. To access these things is going to be completely yeah. closed. You, you think they would be able to do that? You're talking about the deep state? Well, so... <laughs> I,
1: mean, I don't think people would trust it. That's the problem. If you if you centralize something like that, then you've got... The well, not not so well. much centralized,
0: but just uh, segre- segmented. Like, put, uh, put aside, okay. walled off from you and I. Like, we, yeah. there's a lot of stuff we don't see anyway, nor could it would I be against the law. I don't think you even have to do that, though, right? Okay, I'm, I'm going to say something here that's going to be shocking.
2: Okay. Right? Hold on. Because... Oh, <drouble>. Because I've said so many times how much uh, BS blockchain is. Oh yeah. But here we have this technology, blockchain, <laughs> that is almost perfectly designed for this, right? It's true. You could set up a public voting system where when you voted, you had your token assigned to you to cast your vote. It goes in the blockchain, it's immutable. If anybody modifies it, it's right there. It's in the public record, it's decentralized. Like, we've got the technology. Did we just go dark? <laughs> I could, you know, yeah, I, I could. Like, the only thing that I think would be crazier if Don said, All right, now hear me
1: out. <laughs> drones take your ballot and you hand it to <laughs> the vr the, the drone. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and augmented reality you get to watch it go out there yeah i think uh you know blockchain is stupid and pointless for most of its implementations but sure. for something like this that's a great. public immutable ledger i mean that's what it's designed to do and but the problem here is your
1: is your county by county so yeah. You know, if this was a nationwide thing, or even a statewide thing, where you had fifty people to convince of, uh, hey, let's let's do this system. Right. I mean, if you if if I drive fifteen miles across the border to the next county, they're voting a completely different way than we are here, and, and, and that's that's just nuts. Yeah. And I got scared when I first saw this article because it says the Gainesville Times, and we're in Gainesville, Florida, but this was Gainesville, Georgia, is where um, this was actually affected. But we had something here. Um, Just last week there was uh, national news. I know in in Alachua County and other parts of Florida, too, the the email that supposedly came from Proud Boys, you know, threatening people. But it was was Iran, right? Yeah, it was Iran. Iran. They tracked it back. When
0: I saw that email, I was like, yeah, that's not that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Signed, Proud Boys. (laughs) (laughs) I
2: I was confused by that one because, you know, why would the Iranians want President Trump to win again?
1: Cause All it, these things because I get no, confused with that so, too because I'm like, well, there. See, I didn't. Easy. I didn't
0: take it that way. I took it as like to basically say. So if I were to come to you and say you're going to vote for so and so, obviously so and so is bad, and I don't want that. So I'm going to vote for oh, the opposite. Okay. Of that. So right. it's like a, Maybe that's uh, it. I think it's just I think it's just chaos
1: is yeah. the goal because you're right. Oh, yeah. Because you're going to have some people who are are scared and, and frightened out of their minds and don't tell anybody about it. Then you're yeah. going to have other people report it and then everyone get mad and say, oh, now we really need to go out and vote because you know this is is what we're seeing.
0: So I, yeah. I think it's just chaos. Plus they haven't the, met the rednecks of Alachua County. Apparently, <laughs> like listen <laughs> here, son, yeah. you some bitch. You gonna come over here and try to make me vote for some will yeah. Kill you? Yeah, hold on. I'm <laughs> in the Proud Boys and I didn't
1: get this email. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did you
2: know
1: we were doing this a bit?
2: Yeah. You know, that's that, funny <laughs> yeah it's a it's a mess all right well i am sure we will have plenty more election news over the next two weeks oh, yeah. we're, we're uh. recording next week on election day
1: yeah are we really so we will have no news at that point or probably for like two <laughs> weeks after that we no one knows what's going yeah. on
2: oh, it'll be a good time i'm yeah, sure
1: it'll be a great time uh speaking of a great time uh, coming up, we have uh, we're going to do Jeopardy. Actually, we we have Cert Nexus Jeopardy. Don mentioned earlier we're wrapping down uh, the cybersecurity, cybersecurity month. month. We're starting up Certain uh, CertNexus month next month, and so um, you know talking about IoT, AI, all of Don's favorite things there. Uh, and, and so <laughs> we're going to join Zach Memos as the host. That is uh, November 13th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to be playing Jeopardy. we got an all-new board, all-new setup here. going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to have um, some fun contestants and, and all that kind of stuff. So check that out. We'll definitely talk about that more uh, before that comes up. And, uh, and speaking of a good time as well if you are watching this Thursday right when it comes out uh, hi Brian Bauer um, <laughs> we do have a podcast this afternoon uh, it is lessons from uh, lessons from the dark web using a Raspberry onion router for secure internet access uh, it's Thursday October 29th at 2 p.m. Eastern time but don't worry if you're catching this after that uh, it will be archived and will be available at itpro.tv slash webinars same link to go register or to see the archive so go ahead and check those out uh, at it itpro.tv slash webinars. And finally, head over to go.itpro.tv. You can get a coupon code for 30% off your personal membership. You can also request a team trial if you're part of a team and learn about all the great things available for teams like a pro portal uh, and tracking and all that, that good stuff uh, over at go.itpro.tv slash technado. So a lot coming up there.
0: What? Uh, <laughs> let me do it again. Yeah.
1: Um, so, yeah, Jeopardy webinar coupon jeopardy's gonna be cool jeopardy is going to be cool yeah, yeah. We, we've uh, we've got the new board because we we bought those uh those buzzers that, mm-hmm. that work and and we haven't gotten to use those in a while because we've been playing uh spin it to win it yeah uh, I've seen a, I've seen the the mock-up of the board it looks really awesome yeah it yeah. does look cool and so um, yeah we were working with the people over at uh, at certain excess on those questions, so they will be very good questions. Probably stolen right off of the the exams. Questions will be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the best questions you've ever seen. Every, everyone saying it. So, well, again, thank you um, to Roy today for uh, for his help and understanding APIs and scaring the crap out of us. And uh, and thank you to you guys. And thank you everyone watching at home. We'll see you next week right here on TechNada with Don Bisette.